Welcome to the Future of Data Centers, a mini podcast series from the viewpoint of server farmers and data growers. In this DMAS focused series, hear from industry experts as they guide IT leaders and C suites on an important journey into how data center management as a service will enable transformation at scale. Hi there, I'm Jean-Marc Lima, editor of the Tech Capital, your host for this data center management as a service focused mini series with Aaron Chenoy, VP of Sales and Marketing, and Dave Eastman, VP of InCommand, both for ServerFarm, and tech journalist and writer Ambrose McNevin. We bring you the third episode of our three-part mini-series spanning around what makes a true data center management as a service so unique and how it enables enterprises to improve efficiency while saving valuable time and money. The topic of today's episode takes a deep dive into how DMAS brings together the power of people, processes, and machine learning. Um, but guys, before we go into it, uh, maybe something that we should have touched before, let's talk about numbers around DMAS. What have been, let's say, three like highlights uh, in terms of statistics when it comes to DMAS that you've seen around in the last few months? Uh, let me, I, I might I might uh, pick a couple there. Uh, Zhao, hello, everyone. Um, and I think we talked about it in the first couple of episodes, but Server Farm is now you know, widely recognized as the world's leading DMAS service provider uh, with over 700 locations in 45 countries uh, you know, under management. Um, that's not the surprising stat. The surprising stat is that is probably about 0.01% of the data centers that could benefit from, you know, data center management as a service. So the reason I raise that is it's interesting that, you know, we're seen as the leader in this space, but we have only, only begun to, I'm not even sure we've scratched the surface. I think we've sort of arrived at the surface and we're, you know, we're looking for something to scratch it with. So there is a sea of opportunity for us to go after as much as there is a sea of opportunity for enterprises to adopt this capability, you know, and leverage all the benefits from it. Uh, so that's kind of the first one. The second one, and I think Dave will help me build on this, is we still hear, and, and it still remains a little bit of a surprise when we, you know, when we speak to, uh, you know, to sort of, you know, customers and, and you know, primarily CIOs and CTOs in organization that they run out of space long before they run out of power. Um, and actually, if you could boil the whole DMAS story into kind of one thing, that's almost the single problem that we're trying to help people solve is, you know, they should run out of capacity, whether it's space or power or cooling or network, at roughly the same time for each of them, not run out of one way, way faster than they run out of the others. And, and Dave, as I said, Dave will, will sort of help build on that point. But that continues to be, you know, a really, really surprising, uh, you know, a really surprising stat in the market still. Interesting. Um, Dave, would you like to add to Aaron's? So I will, I will add to Aaron uh, because running out of power is, uh, how do you define running out of power? Uh, there is a, a very large, large uh, uh, medical company that has many data centers and they manage capacity of their data centers based on faceplate power for each of the servers. So they're running uh, 
actual maybe 20%, 30% of their power in their UPSs and PDUs. And they, uh, but basically their specs for worst case scenarios say that, wow, we've maximized our UPSs because it's possible that every server in the data center might actually hit its faceplate value at the same time. So uh, that's an extreme example of uh, a bad use. You know, they don't have the data of what their systems actually use. So they error on the safe side and they keep building more infrastructure uh, based on really, uh, you know, insufficient metrics. So uh, I'd say managing power utilization in the data center is still one of the biggest challenges. And we'll talk about that more you know, later in this, uh, this episode. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, moving on and then into the, the question side of the, the episode, um, we haven't really touched on the pandemic and how the pandemic has changed um, the DMAS um, <coughs> spectrum. Um, how would you say DMAS adoption has changed over the last 18, we're going nine to maybe 19, 20 months? Um, and how does DMAS put people first um, in this new world that we live in? We sort of touched on it in the in the previous episodes, and but just as a sort of a reminder, so DMAS for us is really the bringing together of the platform, so the technology stack that pulls together all of the right information, displays it in the right way, allows analytics to be done, and ultimately supports you know, the right types of decisions to be made. Um, that is surrounded by very, very strong process and change control and governance so that the right things are done by the right people at the right point in time. And then the third and most important bit is, is the people, because those are the people that need to look at that information. They need to tune the process. They need to understand you know, how, you know, how an organization works. Um, and if I sort of put that into, into sort of perspective, you know, so we run, you know, a, a large service desk, for example, that pulls together information for all of our customers individually and makes those capacity decisions, those change management decisions, those investment decisions on behalf of our customers. Um, and the reason why they are so critical to, you know, to this capability is the technology it's just technology. It's it's code and it's and it's you know it, it's code and it's sort of infrastructure that pulls together all of the information. The process is it's a document. It's a thing that describes how something should be done. But both of those things are ultimately governed in terms of what they do and how effective they are by the people. It's the people that look at the data, that do the analytics, that do the interpretation. But more importantly than any of those things, it's the people that understand what a particular organization is, how it is structured, how it runs, what the culture is, what the tolerance for risk is, what the efficiency goals are, how sustainable they want to be. So, you know, I kind of talked about the service desk. So we have a service desk, but they're looking at each customer in its own right. So the processes are tuned for that particular customer. The, the, the attitude to risk is tuned for that particular customer. So this is a very, very long way of me saying the people are incredibly important. Mm. Um, and one thing that has been really interesting to us in the pandemic 
is it's underlined how good our process and how good our technology platform is because the people who have no longer been able to travel you know we we manage you know a particular customer's infrastructure in 30 something countries our people especially from a capacity management perspective have not been able to travel to those locations but they have managed together with the tool and the process they've managed to do the job just as well as before and so we've continued to underline not just for ourselves but for our customers that you know the people side of the equation is probably the most important element of those three things um dave i don't know whether you want to build on that but it's been I, I, it's, it hasn't been a surprise to us, but it's been a real eye-opener to, you know, how critical they really are. Let, let me give a real simple answer uh, to the pandemic question. Uh, basically, the pandemic has raised the importance of the discussion. Enterprise have realized they can't solve their problems by sending people out. They, that has said, we need better tools uh, and so there is more interest, and I believe that's going to stay the same. However, these decisions to uh, you know bring in a management firm, these are not quick decisions. You know, they easily take a year plus to evaluate. So the interest level has gone way up. The need has been accentuated, but we haven't yet seen you know a mass adoption. Uh, resulting from pandemic because the decision, you know, term is is quite extensive. Hmm. Interesting, and will be interesting to see how things change. Um, and Ambrose, would you like to add to that as well? Um, just just one small thing, which is that we're we're uh, working on a white paper with Server Farm about uh, hmm. around the 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 issue of infrastructure. Debt. And one of those, what comes out of that is about the optimization of resource management and deliverables thereof. And that comes down to people and to, to build on, on Dave's point about the, the decision making process about that. Um, in my experience, most, you know, um, uh, service management, smart hands, hot hands kind of stuff was, was kind of reactive. You either over, it was like power, you either over provisioned it or you under provisioned it. You know, that you had, you had so many, too many people in the data center not doing very much, or you didn't have enough people when you when you needed them. And I think the thing about the DMAS, especially the in-command solution, is that this is about the optimization of exactly that, because you can start to plan for that. You actually start to say, you know, okay, when will I need these people and where will I need them? So I have the right number of people for the work that needs to be done. So if it's a smart hands job, then you can actually kind of overlay the requirements um, to look at, you know, what's the requirement going to be in the future for a particular task? Because you're learning all the time from the, from the, from the operation. And then, you know, that, that can even extend out into then, you know, how you do, how you manage that, that, that service availability. I think we touched upon this. We know, we, we might talk about skills. We know there's a skills kind of uh, uh, crisis, you know, kind of uh, imminent or, or coming. There's certainly going to be a skills kind of shortage. Um, so you need to have more automation and use the skills you have more effectively. And I think that's what DMAS actually is, is the, the, the journey towards. Hmm. No, that's a good point. And uh, I mean, maybe Dave, picking up on um, Ambrose's point about in-command, um, how are you guys using machine learning and, and deploying machine learning and artificial intelligence and added new technologies that you probably are looking at um, into DMAS, into your in-command DMAS solution? So uh, I'll give you one example um, of what you do with data. There's a, 
a relatively new problem in managing power, and that's how a server shares power between multiple sources. They've got an A and a B, and it was years ago, virtually all servers used it 50% from A and B. Uh, now, for optimization reasons, et cetera, you've got manufacturers uh, giving algorithms that might, you know, one power supply might use 90% and the other 10%. And, uh, and they're all over the map. So when you go to look at the load on this circuit with this server, you need to know, wow, is that using, is that power shared 50-50 or 90-10? Because if it's 90-10 and the 10% circuit fails, well, you only have 10% of that server power failing over the other. You don't have to allocate 50%, which was the old rule. So one of the things we've had to add in command is to evaluate the power sharing and work that into our redundancy algorithms to say, wow, with this circuit, this panel, this UPS is or is not you know, at capacity in a failover situation. So uh, that's, that's the level of data that we found we have to get to to help our customers you know, really utilize their power infrastructure effectively. Hmm. Okay. Um, and Aaron, picking up on the Cosmos element, when you go out and speak to, to Cosmos, to CIOs, um, what are their concerns? Why are they sharing with you? Um, and how are you putting in commands in place to help them address those concerns and challenges? We touched barriers on episode one, but now let's talk about your, your real customers, um, the people out there in the world changing the world. Yeah, and I think we... Um... You know the, the sort of three the three main things that are sort of you know governing the the sort of CIO CTO kind of you know thought process is the transition to the cloud, the remaining infrastructure that can't transition to the cloud, and then what do things like five G and AI and IoT do for my infrastructure, especially as it relates to edge. And something that's different in the conversation that we are seeing now to the conversations that took place, say, three years ago or five years ago. Um, so three years ago, most CIOs were almost sort of single-minded in their focus, I'm moving everything to the cloud. Um, and that meant lots of different things. It meant you know, public cloud infrastructure, private cloud implementations within their own data centers or within co-location, a hybrid of those two things. But generally, it was, you know, my, my IT strategy as a CIO was to move to the cloud. And part of that was because things like 5G and the impact that 5G has on the ability to deliver, you know, services or applications in a much more distributed uh, you know, way in terms of, you know, still maintaining, you know, very, very low latency, very high bandwidth, uh, or what IoT meant, not just, by the way, in the sort of, a, you know, the nest thermometer sense, but also in the industrial sense, you know, putting sensors on, uh, you know, manufacturing equipment or, or process automation, you know, facilities and factories. So, so that, 
that sort of you know development of sort of technologies has sort of forced the conversation to go back to a certain extent to the place where CIOs now recognize that they need to have an infrastructure management story of their own as part of the strategy. And that is because they've recognized that there are workloads that are going to be on-premise in their data centers or in their co-location environments for probably the next five, maybe more years. And they have to figure out how to deliver edge because edge isn't a traditional cloud type of deployment. So those kind of two, and, and they're not necessarily sort of overlapping requirements, but those two requirements have forced them to rethink how infrastructure management needs to be done. And they're trying to correlate that with the fact that they know that infrastructure management isn't a core competence. They don't have the right people. They don't have the ability to attract the right people and develop the right people in terms of skills. And so by definition, they're now in the market looking for partners that can manage that environment for them. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the other thing that has also changed in the three years is those CIOs at the time were looking at DSIM as the way to solve this problem. I think increasingly they're now looking at DMAS as the way to solve the problem. That's interesting. So the CIO is understanding now what this means. Um, and I'll ask my question and then Ambrose, I know you want to make a point as well, but I'll ask this one question. When the conversation then gets to the CFO, is it easy to get the check to pay for this or is there still a barrier um, even though the CIO, CIO now understands how important this is? Uh, I'm I'm going to take that question in two parts, one part of which I'll hand over to Dave to talk about the, the, the culture of change. On as, as far as the CFO is concerned, it is actually, I would suggest, one of the easiest decisions that he or she could make. Hmm. And the reason I say that, generally speaking, the CFO comes to the conclusion, because of the discussion that they're having with the CIO or the CTO, this is going to make infrastructure more efficient. It's going to make infrastructure more reliable. But most of all, it's going to put in quite a big capability of cost avoidance. And the cost avoidance thing for the CFO is actually the biggest one, because the CFO, generally speaking, of course, they mind spending money in any way, shape, and form. But generally speaking, if there is a budget and it's sort of largely OPEX related, they get it. They understand the plan. They understand why. What they don't want is the surprise where a CIO comes to the CFO and says, I need 50 million to build a new data center. Because that's a capital infrastructure investment. It's an asset that's going to sit on the books for a long time. It can't be depreciated overnight. That's the bit that we can help avoid. So actually CFOs find the decision quite easy to make. Hmm. But, and this is where I'll hand over to Dave, culture, and the change is actually a really, really big, important part of this. So it's not just CIOs and CFOs, but also the organization more broadly in terms of how it wants to adopt, you know, quite a big change in, in how infrastructure is managed. Hmm. Okay. Dave, would you like to add to Aaron's point? I, I'll, I'll just give an example, uh, two examples. One, changing the culture of change is... Perhaps one of the, well, it is the most challenging uh, aspect of deploying a DMAS solution. Uh, and, but that's really not uh, CFO's concern. That's CIO and IT concern beneath uh, 
the CFO. Uh, Aaron, the, the next point, Aaron talks about uh, CFOs are, you know, are once it comes to them, they're generally in favor. Uh, however, cost avoidance uh, is a hard sell without an expensive outage. So what we really find is that CFOs open the purse strings once they've had a very expensive outage and they realize, man, we got to get control of this. Now they're all in. But without that expensive outage, yeah, they kind of see it, but there, there are other, it's a much more difficult sell. And it's a dangerous game to play the waiting for an outage. To it is, it is. You need this. Uh, but Amber, sorry. Um, I, I just kind of wanted to build on a couple of things I think that Dave and uh, Aaron put on. It's more of a kind of a, there's a question in here somewhere, so bear with me. Um, Aaron and Dave, is it your experience that this, as CIOs themselves change and IT itself changes, that you know we, we know they're becoming obsessed with their customer's customer? So most businesses are moving to some kind of digital platform. Most businesses are moving to some kind of as a service or as a service offering. You know, inside IT, we're, we're very well aware of software infrastructure platform as a service. People are getting used to that. And that seems to be cascading through, through the organization because that's how most of us are getting used to paying for things, you know, whether it's Amazon Prime or whatever it is and, and how, how we go to that. But just the point being about... Um, we then, as for, for enterprise IT, can see lots of survey results that say we're not ready to migrate. And if we do migrate, we're not really sure how much it's going to cost us in the long run. And we're, there's a nervousness about, about that in terms of how I, I, I know what $50 million for a new data center looks like because it's all there in one big pile. But you're promising me that you know $500,000 a month doesn't sound very much yet. Yeah. That's going to build up fairly rapidly. You know, it doesn't take a, a mathematical genius to work it out. So my question then really is about in terms of DMAS and that, is DMAS have the capacity or the potential to create a platform where once you get control of what you have, you then can actually start to make informed decisions about where you want to go. So even though what you have is a CapEx, with now added on priced in OpEx, which you're under, taking under control, can you use DMAS using in command to go, well, if I can run my own data centers this way and my colo this way, and I'm on my way to the cloud, can I start applying a formula or start extracting valuable data that, that is there within the, within the system? Is that a, is that a, a capability of, of, of uh, uh, in command? And are people able to take advantage? So... Uh... What I got from what you just said, Ambrose, is, uh, you know, there is an expense to DMAS. And it, it doesn't just come for free. You don't just get more efficient data centers. But it's an OPEX expense. And it promises good data to make more informed CapEx decisions. Uh, it's a very difficult sale, frankly. Uh, it's entirely true. Uh, but it's only through a successful DMAS implementation uh, that you get the good data and you have your, we, you know, we run into skeptics, but uh, uh, we continue to build a, a reference base of success stories. And I think the, uh, the IT organizations in the months and years ahead will uh, uh, get more comfortable 
with you know the uh, the success and you know the cost savings that are down the road but it's it used to be with DCIM in particular everybody wanted to know the ROI give me the ROI you know i'm going to spend this much money and people realize that ROI is really hard to come by and people are just kind of making things up well you'll save 30% on cooling oh really um maybe yes maybe no so the it's a more comprehensive solution it's a longer term sales cycle you need more reference and proof of concept to get comfort uh, but it's uh you know we are 100% confident that we will that we deliver because of our uh, experience with existing customers but uh that story is still a very developing story it's in its infancy uh from a dmas Yep, and and on the on the topic, um, Ambrose of of sort of cloud and making the decision about which workloads should and shouldn't go to the cloud, um, actually it turns out that DMAS really helps not just to answer the question. And here's here's the important thing: is let's take a step back. Why do people move to the cloud? Do people move to the cloud to save money? Generally, no. And I think most people know that now. They, I suspect they've always known it, and it's not that they've been trying to hide it. Quite the opposite. It's because saving money by moving to the cloud wasn't the objective. The objective was to be more agile. It is to be more flexible. It was to deploy services quickly and to be able to turn them off quickly without the problem of finding CapEx. So actually, when you boil all of those things down into the why people were moving to the cloud, it wasn't about cost. Now, one thing does turn out to be true is if you can show people, and that's what we do for our customers, if you can show people that once you have your infrastructure better managed, it becomes more reliable, it becomes more efficient, you get through all of the sort of cost avoidance opportunities. Actually, you start to draw a baseline much higher up in the workload to say, this is the point at which I need to move to the cloud or not. Because in many senses, we're actually cloudifying what people already have in their data centers. Because let's think about what cloud does. What cloud does is allows me to make a request and for that request to be almost invisibly provisioned into a capability, into a platform that I can deploy an application on. Now, if we can replace all of the internal tools and processes and people, all the things that go towards making that in current environments very slow and cumbersome and time-consuming and costly and risky, if we can collapse all of those through DMAS, which is what we do for our customers, actually we create a very different level of tolerance in terms of making, where does that sort of tipping point come where they go, ah, Actually, at this level, I can keep all of those applications in-house because I'm perfectly comfortable that they're being run properly. It's largely invisible to me because I have a partner who's kind of looking after it, and I don't have to worry about where everything is and how many of them I've got and how old they are. And then everything above that that needs me to deploy an application in two hours, that's where I you know, can almost burst into the cloud. Um, and the reason why I think that's becoming actually more important and more of a consideration for customers is we now have actually quite a large number of 
organizations that we've talked to in the market that are actually starting to repatriate workloads from the cloud. Again, because they've realized that there is now the ability to run infrastructure more efficiently through partnering with a DMAS provider, compounded by the fact that their cloud journey has become much more expensive than they were expecting. So the challenge with all of these things, as it always has been, is if you realize that the cloud is very expensive, you only really have a solution for that if there is something that is an alternative. And I think DMAS gives a lot of CIOs and CTOs that alternative now. Because the alternative of, well, cloud's very expensive. I'm now going to go back to how I used to use. That's not an alternative. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't go back to something that was clearly broken because, yes, you might save some money, but you don't want to be the CIO that's looking for the next job because you decided to save money, cut corners, and break something. So I think now that there is a reasonable alternative through DMAS, I think that becomes a, a new consideration for you know for CIOs to you know to consider. I think to boil no. it down, really, what I was trying to get at was that if we're enabling you know data and operate data based information based operational decisions and, and or tactical or even strategic decisions about things like cloud. And to your to your point, Aaron, yes, you know we know there's a cloud optimization. There's an entire industry based around stopping people's overspending on cloud. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and there's enough data points and surveys out there to suggest people, you know, 25, 30% of it is wasted. So replacing wasted cloud spend or replacing you know poorly run data centers with wasted cloud spend is is you know doesn't eradicate any kind of uh uh, uh waste at all so i think there's uh i just say to kind of to, to pull it back to how how we should be doing things and it's eradication of waste both power cooling space and ultimately money i think is where we're, where we're going well said yep absolutely it's all Good points. And uh, just to kind of just round up our series um, around DMAS um, and uh, in command as well, give us a quick rundown of what's planned for the next couple of years, for the next 12, 24 months uh, in terms of in command. New updates, um, maybe new new releases, different geographies. Um, can we get a, an overview of what's to come? Absolutely. So what's, what's to come? There's, we're, we're still cracking the nut uh, of building confidence in enterprise organizations to give them that alternative that Aaron just talked about. Uh, most are yet unaware because DMAS is still in its infancy. So we continue to, uh, we have the tool sets. It's not as though we lack the ability of the telemetry or the metrics or the planners or the analysts. They're there. Uh, so what's to come is still a lot of education in the marketplace that this is a viable solution worthy of consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, the there's two we talked about machine learning that's a given you know the more data you have the larger the data lakes the better the decision we continue you know the in command development team will continue to analyze and perfect data. The um, what's to come, I actually, I'm, I'm going to segue a little bit, Jow, to something that has been alluded to, but I want to clarify it. Uh, DMAS offers an expertise and a career path for data center operations. Uh, and it offloads IT organizations uh, 
the need for their resources to manage their IT infrastructure. Now, but the DMAS team does not have the expertise of the IT team and of the culture of the company. So DMAS, you, you can't just come in with data center expertise and telemetry and you know, improve a, a customer's you know, data center utilization. It is an absolutely integrated solution. The main player in a DMAS solution is what we call a planner. They're the data analysts. They're the ones that know the data center. But the enterprise has to incorporate that planner into their IT organizations. And that planner has to learn about the culture, the standards, mm -hmm. the directions of that company in order to leverage his data center expertise to their advantage. Aaron alluded to this maybe in a previous call, but... That's a fairly unique piece of DMAS. It's not just an outsourced service and the problem gets taken care of. It is outsourcing and expertise, but it's got to be integrated with that company's IT organization because they have expertise that has to be factored in. So uh, just development and breaking the ice to make those sort of things happen yeah, I believe we're going to see that in the coming years. People are going to get more comfortable and embrace it. Well, thank you, Dave. That was beautifully put <laughs> um, to close off the the, the, the podcast series. Uh, but before we, we go for good, um, let, let's do the personal side of things. Aaron, what was your first job Ooh. in the industry? Let's, let's say in the industry, let's not... If you want to share your first first as well, if you had the first well, first. It, actually, as it happens, they're both the same thing. So that's, that, okay, that, good. <laughs> sol that solves that problem. Um, so I actually, my first job in, well, my first job, uh, I was a student intern at IBM at the research and development labs in the south of the UK. And, and I have to share a very quick, a very, a very quick little funny story. So when I joined, they gave me a username, which... To this day, I I just I can't quite figure out the, the logic, but it was funny. So because I was a temporary student, they gave me a username of T-Stud. And <laughs> for some reason, that stuck in my mind. I have no idea why, but there it was is. Was that part of an initiation kind of thing? Or? Well, you know, they were, IBM was in the late 80s, a very, very conservative organization. So I think that was the, the attempt on the part of a couple of people to you know, to kind of, I don't know, rally against the system, maybe. <laughs> anyway, it made me <laughs> chuckle. <laughs> Three usernames, I like it. <laughs> and yeah. um, Dave, what was your first data center tour? First data center tour, you said? Yeah. Oh, well, that's actually fairly embarrassing. <laughs> uh, what did you break? <laughs> I, uh, I. What does this button do? <laughs> so, as I mentioned uh, in a previous podcast, I built data centers uh, all around the world, IT infrastructure, but I never managed them. We built them, we hand them off to the IT, we go build another. And when I got challenged by the CIO to start managing them, I began to tour other people's data centers, ask them questions about how they manage everything. Well, I got a, a tour of a very high-profile data center, they uh, heavily security, cameras everywhere. And 
you know, I walk in and this guy was nice enough to take me down the aisles and show me the racks, but the racks were all closed. And, and so I innocently, I wanted to ask about cable management. So we were sitting there, I opened the back of the rack and I stuck my hand in and I pulled on a cable and said, so how do you come up with this label? And the guy went white in the face. What are you doing? Says, I'm going to lose my job. I mean, shut that door and get your hands. You know, I, I realized, oh, OMG. Uh, yeah, I have a lot to learn about uh, data centers. So, yeah, that was my first tour in my first faux pas. I now virtually put handcuffs on when I walk into somebody else's data center. I, <laughs> I don't trust myself. You make me feel good about my own trips to data centers because with me, it's on the alarms that I get on. <laughs> yeah. And um, Ambrose, what about you? What was your first job and what was your first data center tour? You get both. Okay. Well, I'm going to be, I'm going to, um, I'm going to deflect slightly um, to go. My, my first job was in, was in publishing uh, when I was the editorial assistant on computing magazine back in the uh, mid, no, early nineties, uh, about 1992, 93. Uh, it was long before kind of data centers really kind of, you know, as we know them today, were, were a thing. Um, but I'm going to jump forward about 15 years from, from there when I first got my uh, uh, job in the data center sector, as opposed to the enterprise IT sector. So I'd been writing about enterprise IT for about 15 years, didn't, had no idea what a data center was, didn't know what an electrical engineer was, didn't know what a mechanical engineer was, had no idea about a co-location, anything of that. This was 2008. And a good friend of mine who's still the editor of a very large and well-respected UK publication picked up on the first story that I wrote because it was about UPSs and sent it to me. And with all the snobbery of IT said, <laughs> oh, I see you're writing about batteries now. And then I cut forward again about five years to find that his website has uh, got a whole section about data centers and he's got a data center editor and he's got a person who only talks about batteries and UPSs and PDUs and racks and efficiency and power. So I feel I came on it. I've been on quite a journey, uh, <laughs> um, you know, to, to bring together IT and, uh, you know, Zhao, you're a journalist, you know, you, you know what they're like. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not going to get into that conversation now. <laughs> Aaron, Ambrose and Dave, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss the EMAS, um, not just on this episode, but over the entire series. Um, and I look forward to speak to you again about the next developments from Server Farm and how the industry evolves in the future as well. Thank you. For more insightful episodes of the future of data centers, be sure to check out serverfarmllc.com forward slash podcast for additional episodes available on demand, as well as other upcoming mini podcast series. <laughs>